Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. We'll read verses 22 through 27. Aaronic benediction. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Take one more moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would bless it unto us now as we seek to be fed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a fascinating feature of music that you can recognize it in a very subdued form. So, if I whistle, <laughs> better I better hum. Ba 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 bum. Ba 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 bum. Even though that's just me humming or making a noise since whistling wasn't loud enough. You recognize it and can see that it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. But of course, saying that is almost absurd because I am not a symphony, as I've just demonstrated. You would recognize it, although you recognize it coming from me. Imagine what it's like at the Columbus Symphony with a conductor and over and, and 48 professional musicians all having trained to put on display, to put before you and your listening ears, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in all of its grandeur. So much more than bum ba ba bum bum ba ba bum And I think that illustration is actually helpful in looking at certain verses from the Old Testament. If you just look at what's there in the Old Testament, in a sense, it's the equivalent of bum ba ba bum bum ba ba bum And then when you go into the New Testament, it's accompanied by professional musicians and a conductor, and it hits your ears as the full symphony that it is being played by an orchestra. And that is what I believe we have in this ironic benediction in number 6, verses 22 through 27. So what I want to do tonight is look at it, simply the benediction in the Old Testament, and then the benediction in the New Testament. And it's helpful for us to stop and consider what a benediction is, because there is one that concludes every worship service here at Grace OPC, and we don't want that just to be some Christianese words that you hear and listen to, but we want it to take root in your life, that we want that moment of worship to be significant for each one of you. So it 
is helpful for us to take a moment and use our worship time this evening to consider the benediction. Benediction, it's um, an English word that comes from two Latin words, bene, which means good, and diction, which means word. So benediction is a good word, a good word from God. And as you uh, look at this benediction in Numbers chapter 6, it's beautiful poetry that I want to call your attention to. Before we look at the benediction itself, uh, look at verse 22 where it says, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. So it is a blessing for the Old Testament church, the sons of Israel. And you can see that that is repeated in verse 27. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. So keep that in mind, the sons of Israel. Then verses 24, 25, and 26 these good words are spoken, and you can see that the Lord is repeated three times. That's Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Here's what's amazing. If you take out the Lord, if you put that, those three occurrences of the Lord to the side, there are 12 words left in the benediction. Twelve words of blessing for the sons of Israel. Twelve words of blessing for the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve good words from the Lord. And if you look at what this is getting at, it really is staggering that this God who we know is holy, 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 draws nears draws near to sinners whom we know from experience and we know from reading our Old Testament were not holy. And it's all about his blessing upon them. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You think about what's here, and, you know, the word bless, it, it really does end up becoming just a part of our Christianese vocabulary. We just, you know, have a blessed day, and I, I hope, you know, we've re received so many blessings from the Lord, and it almost becomes something so spiritual it's not tangible to us any longer. And we can avoid that simply by uh, looking at the psalm that we use for the call to worship, which is delivering the Aaronic blessing in psalm form. But look at towards the end of that call to worship in Psalm 67. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. Be real concrete. Be real tangible about the blessing of the Lord. You could even use the word here, produce. When was the last time you went into a supermarket and there was no produce section at all? And I'm saying that because these blessings from the Lord, they hide in plain sight. And it's grievous. It should be grievous to us that that's the case. We get so preoccupied with the things on our mind, with little things that are going wrong, with nuisance things or vexing things, annoying things, 
we forget to realize that the Lord is just showering us with blessing upon blessing upon blessing to the extent where we don't even think about whether or not there's going to be a produce section at the supermarket. We anticipate that there will be not only a produce section, but shelves stocked full of the various foods that we want. So when you pray before a meal and say, thank you, Father, for this blessing, realize God, by giving you that meal, is fulfilling this benediction. That's how concrete it is to look at the Lord's blessing. But there's also the idea of uh, protection and preservation, not just the Lord bless you, but the Lord keep you. You think about when the first five books of the Bible occur and that these Israelites are in the middle of a wilderness and have danger on every side, and how much of a comfort this must have been to them to to go to the tabernacle and to know this God, this all-powerful God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, he keeps you. He preserves you. He protects you. He not only provides for you, but preserves and protects you. And once again, don't let this stuff hide in plain sight. How many times did you get in your car and drive or be driven somewhere this week? The Lord preserves you. The Lord protects you. Think of all of the benefits that we have as citizens, especially on the eve of Memorial Day. Ultimately, all ways through the various branches of the military, through so many different levels of security, all ways in which your God is keeping you, protecting you, preserving you. And in addition to the preservation, provision, and protection of the Lord, what really might be the most startling thing about this is the Lord's presence. His face, the Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. It's the picture of a parent. Think about a parent, a mom, maybe, or a dad, looking at their, their firstborn child after the child's been born. And there's a radiance about that face looking on the child. Even we have the expression, like, the person was beaming. You should have seen the new dad. He was beaming as he looked at his son. His face was shining. He was radiant in his looking on his newborn son. It's astonishing to read this about God. Holy, holy, holy God has a radiant face shining upon you. And this is the way the children of Israel were to be addressed. It's fascinating to me that you know about Moses from the Old Testament that God spoke to him like a friend. And what happened to Moses' face when he came down from Sinai? Remember, it was shining. It was reflecting something of the shining glory of God himself. So there's this blessing that the Lord's face would shine upon us, that his countenance would be lifted up. And 
we should pause here because if we just talk about God being present in your life, God is always there. God is watching every step of the way. God knows every single thought you have. God knows every single thing you do. That picture of God probably isn't God with a shining face upon you, intent to be gracious and merciful towards you, lifting up his countenance on you, blessing you and keeping you. Instead, it, we almost it's a fearful thought. Like, God is always there. He knows even my darkest thoughts. He knows every in and every out of my life. He knows every single thing I've done. It's a fearful thing, but you come to these verses and it says, he's gracious. His face is shining upon you. And we should go a step further and say, you know, how can this be? It's fascinating. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, we read this about God. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. How can that be the case when we're reading about this blessing, this favor of the Lord extended to wicked, evil sinners? And that is how I believe we get from this Old Testament benediction to all of its significant significance in the New Testament and the New Testament age in which we live. You think about this ironic benediction. You think about these children of Israel going to the synagogue frequently because, precisely because they had sinned. And bringing an animal sacrifice and having that animal sacrifice, having that animal's blood shed. And then after that worship experience involving an animal sacrifice, they hear this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And you can imagine the questions that they would be asking. How does this work? What does an animal's blood have to do with God's favor towards me, a sinner? His eyes are too pure to even look on evil. But a goat or a lamb is sacrificed, and all of a sudden I receive the favor of the Lord? We sing, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. And imagine these Old Testament saints grappling with that to some extent or another. What difference does an animal make? Why does the sacrifice of an animal result in the blessing of the Lord? Hebrews makes this point in Chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And it is recognizing that. And to some extent, entering the thought space of an Old Testament Israelite going to the synagogue, going to the tabernacle with a, a, 
an animal to be sacrificed for sin and receiving this blessing, going into that headspace and thinking along those lines brings us to consider this benediction in the New Testament, to hear this benediction as a resounding symphony by a full and professional orchestra because all of the blood of bulls and goats could never forgive a single sin. The author of Hebrews says that. We read in Hebrews 10, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Or as we sing, but Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Look and say, how can I, a sinner, receive the good word from God, the blessing of God? How can God, who is of purer eyes than to even look on evil, look on me as an evil sinner and speak his blessing towards me? How can his face be shining towards me and his countenance lifted up over me? How can this be? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and received the opposite of a benediction from God. Instead of God's blessing his son on the cross, he received God's curse. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A curse instead of a blessing. But it didn't stop there on the cross. He got to the point where Jesus said, it is finished. And you know that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. A message to all of us that that Old Testament system is over, that there is no more need for animal sacrifices to point forward to the coming sacrifice because Christ himself went to the cross and became that once for all perfect sacrifice, the single sacrifice for sin after which he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. The temple curtain torn in two, and what that means is that if you are trusting in Jesus, if you are looking to him as your mediator, if he is your mediator between God and man, the curse for your sin has been forever absorbed on Calvary's cross. And what is left for you is the blessing and favor of God. His radiant face on you. His lifted up countenance on you. His concern with your well-being, with your preservation, with your protection. Because it is finished. There's no more sacrifice necessary for sin and you can start to see how these verses would sort of be, this, this blessing would sort of be a, a mystery and an enigma to those Old Testament Israelite saints. But in the New Testament, we see how it comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we see he observed, uh, absorbed the curse, he suffered the curse 
He was forsaken by God the Father so that I, who am a sinner, could receive the blessing. I wonder if this ironic benediction is operating in the minds of the New Testament writers as they wrote down various things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's fascinating that after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, after he was the single sacrifice for sins, he rose again from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. And in Luke 24, 36, we read that he says, Peace to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. I wonder if that's what was in the mind of Jesus when he saw his disciples after he paid for their sins on the cross and rose again from the dead and says, peace to you. I wonder if that word peace that occurs at the end of the ironic benediction was in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that verse summarize everything that we've been talking about? How can God, who is of purer eyes than to even look on evil, look on us and bless us? How can this be? Because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. At the end of the book of Ephesians, peace be to the brethren. Peter concludes his first epistle, peace be to you all who are in Christ. And the benediction at the end of Hebrews, now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This God of the Old Testament, this Yahweh of the Old Testament, the covenant Lord of the Old Testament, is the God of peace who has established peace through Jesus Christ, his son. And I just want to look at one other thought here in considering how this ironic benediction is, is so fully filled, so fully fulfilled in the New Testament. Look at how verse 27 speaks specifically about being identified with the name of God. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And how many times was God's name mentioned in the benediction? Three times. Yahweh, 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 or the Lord. The Lord, the Lord. 
we go to Matthew 28 and look at the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Think about how that's fulfilling Psalm 67. Baptizing them into the name, not of Yahweh, 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 but into the New Testament clarity, the elucidation that comes through the New Testament, the clearness that we find in the New Testament. Baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, but now it's still the one name of God three times, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Invoke the name of the Lord through baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if that thrice-repeated name is the reason behind Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 with the benediction that we hear so frequently, saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Not Yahweh, 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 not the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, but instead the three persons of the Trinity here to lift up their face upon you, to bless you, to be radiant over you, for their face to shine upon you as a a happy and thankful parent over you, to look out for your protection, for your preservation, to know the good presence of the Lord over you, the Lord whose face shines on you, whose countenance is lifted up over you, who gives you peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that the benediction would be significant for us, that we would realize all that you have done in our place, and that we would really know that God is for us, And that since God is for us, we can ask, who can be against us? Encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.